St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews 13 17-21. Brethren, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as men who will have to give account. Let them do this joyfully, and not sadly, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in you that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. The theme here, between the Epistle reading and the Gospel reading, is that of doing what is right. It is important to recognize that right action on the part of man has nothing to do with earning salvation. In the case of the readers of Paul's letters to the Hebrews, that is, those Jews who embrace Jesus as the Messiah, Paul instructs them to act rightly, in this case involves, obeying those in authority over them, praying for the religious leaders, especially Paul and praying for themselves that they may do the will of God. In each of these commands from Paul, the call to act is not in order to earn something but as a response to what God has already done. Paul identifies what it is that God has done for these Hebrews. God has acted in human history, sending Jesus Christ to restore man back into a right relationship with himself. By the blood of the eternal covenant, God has restored man so that man can do those things that are pleasing in his sight. It is because of the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that men can be equipped to do the will of God. But it is even more than simply doing the will of God. Of course, doing God's will is our ultimate goal but we can only do God's will, as Paul says, through Jesus Christ. This reference is to the role that Jesus took upon Himself in the Incarnation. As the archetype of the creation account in Genesis, the Spirit of God passed over Mary and God took on human flesh. In Genesis, the Spirit of God passed over the formed body of man and breathed life into Adam, making him a living being. So too in the Incarnation. As God the Son entered into human history, He took on the role of the second Adam, beginning the restoration of man to God. The Incarnation is what it is all about. It is only because of the Incarnation that man can do the will of God and it is because of the Incarnation that he can do the will of God through Jesus Christ. Any action we take will only be pleasing in the sight of God because it is done through Jesus Christ, the new Adam. It is in our baptism, which is a dying to the first Adam as our covenantal head and our rising to new life in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, as our new covenantal head. We die in Adam, therefore no longer under his slavery to sin and death and we rise to new life in Jesus Christ, free from the power of sin and death. When we look at the Gospel reading, we see an Old Covenant example of doing right. In Luke 17 12-19 we read. At that time, as Jesus entered a village, He was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When He saw them He said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then said Jesus, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. In this story, Jesus has approached these men who were looking for mercy. This is really amazing on many levels. These men most likely had no clue to exactly what Jesus could do for them. They probably had heard of the miracles Jesus had been doing and they probably were hoping for some sort of miracle for themselves. Also, these men were lepers, which means that they were outcasts from the people of God. These were men who were, by any and all accounts, unclean. 
these men could not be part of regular society and could only beg from a distance. No one wanted them, no one could even touch them. And lastly, one of them was even a Samaritan. Historically speaking, the Samaritans were half-breed Jews that were looked upon with disdain by the Jews. So in short, these men had everything going against them. But Jesus heard their cries for mercy and He healed them. They did nothing to earn this blessing, they did no work of any kind to deserve the complete healing that Jesus gave them. Because this healing took place under the Old Covenant, Jesus upon healing them, told them to go to the religious leaders and have their newly gained cleanliness confirmed. Jesus, being the perfect Jew, knew exactly how to obey the law. Remarkably, in the face of this healing, only one of them returned to Jesus and said thank you. Jesus marveled that only one of ten returned and praised him but even in light of this, all ten still received healing. This is the point of the story. In the Old Covenant, receiving salvation from God or being part of the people of God, was not a matter of doing in order to receive. The gift of God is given based on no good work. The good works we do should take place as a response to the love of God. To not respond with praise should be unthinkable. These two accounts ought to give us pause and consider just how we actually do respond. Are we thankful, are we responsive and do we love God because He first loved us? Or do we simply take it all for granted?